The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Hear the words of this covenant and speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Cursed be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant that I commanded your, your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Listen to my voice and do all that I command you. So shall you be my people and I will be your God as I may confirm the oath that I swore to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey at this day. Then I answered it, so be it, Lord. And the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Hear the words of the covenant and do them. For I solemnly warned your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, warning them persistently, even to this day, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore, I brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. Again, the Lord said to me, A conspiracy exists among the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, who refused to hear my words. They have gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant that I have made with their fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am bringing disaster upon them that they cannot escape. Though they cry to me, I will not listen to them. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry to the gods to whom they made offerings, but they cannot save them in their time of trouble. For your gods have become as many as your cities, O Judah, and as many as the streets of Jerusalem are the altars you have set up in shame, altars to make offering to Baal. Therefore, do not pray for this people, or lift up a cry or prayer in their behalf, for I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their trouble. The second reading is from 2 Chronicles, chapter 36, verses 2 to 23. It is about troubled times, and it is complex. But stay with it if you can, for there is real hope at the end. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. The king of Egypt dethroned him in Jerusalem and imposed on Judah a levy of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. The king of Egypt made Eliakim, a brother of Jehoahaz, king over Judah and Jerusalem, and changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. But Necho took Eliakim's brother, Jehoahaz, and carried him off to Egypt. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, attacked him and bound him with bronze shackles to take him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also took to Babylon articles from the temple of the Lord and put them in his temple there. The other events of Jehoiakim's reign, the detestable things he did and all that was found against him, are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And Jehoiakim, his son, succeeded him as king. Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months and ten days. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 
In the spring, King Nebuchadnezzar sent for him and brought him to Babylon, together with articles of value from the temple of the Lord. And he made Jehoiakim's uncle Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God, and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke the word of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him take an oath in God's name. He became stiff-necked and hardened his heart and would not turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. Furthermore, all the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful, following all the detestable practices of the nations and defiling the temple of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and spared neither young man nor young woman, old man or aged. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. He carried them to Babylon. All the articles from the temples of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple, and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple, and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests. All the time of its desolation it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you, may the Lord, his God, be with him, and let him go up. Over the past few weeks, we've been tracing the theme of covenant through the story of the Old Testament and doing so quite rapidly. At the beginning of June, we looked at the story of creation. Then we fast-forwarded in the morning to Moses and God leading the people out of Egypt. 
then Joshua and the entry into the promised land, Solomon and the division of the kingdom into north and south, and last week we looked at the exile of the northern kingdom of Israel because they broke God's covenant. This week, it's the theme of the southern kingdom of Judah following suit and getting taken into exile for precisely the same reason as the north. They didn't keep God's covenant. 930 is the year when the kingdom of Israel split into two and after Solomon's reign. The northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by Assyria in 722 BC. The last good king in the southern kingdom of Judah was Josiah. We saw last Sunday evening how he was killed in battle by Necho, pharaoh of Egypt, in 609. There followed 24 years of political chaos. To some extent because Judah was powerless to resist the changing balance of power in the Middle East. But the prophets were quite clear that all this happened because the people hadn't listened to God. After Josiah was killed, the people of the land chose one of his sons, Jehoahaz, as his successor. But Pharaoh, king of Egypt, deposed him and put his brother, whom he named Jehoiakim, on the throne instead. But the power of Egypt was already on the wane. The new superpower in the north was Babylon. And the Babylonians attacked Judah, and Jehoiakim served the king of Babylon for three years. But then he decided to rebel, and he was captured and spent some time being held hostage in Babylon until enough money was raised to pay for his ransom. He was succeeded in 598 by his son Jehoiakim, but Jehoiakim only lasted three months. Jerusalem was attacked by the Babylonian army, Jehoiakim surrendered, and in 598 he was carted off to Babylon with all the treasures of the house of the Lord, all the officials of the land, all the mighty men of valour, all the craftsmen and the smiths, and 10,000 other captives. The prophets Daniel and Ezekiel were among those deported to Babylon on this occasion. Only the poorest people of the land were left behind. And the king of Babylon put Jehoiakim's uncle, Zedekiah, presumably another one of Josiah's sons, on the throne in Judah. Zedekiah, he reigned for 11 years. He rebelled against the king of Babylon. Probably in 594, he held a summit in Jerusalem to which he invited envoys from the surrounding nations. Edom was there, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, Sidon. They were all represented, all pretty much the traditional enemies of Judah and Israel. But in politics, it's always been the case that the enemy of my enemy is now my friend, And all these countries got together to see if they could do something to take advantage of political unrest in Babylon. They made an alliance to see if they could find some way of securing independence. But it didn't work. Some people think that Jeremiah chapter 11, which Joshua read to us earlier, can be dated to this time because Jeremiah refers to a conspiracy. And this summit represented a conspiracy against the king of Babylon. But the Lord says, actually, you're conspiring against me as much as you are against him. And the conspiracy failed. It took a while, but the Babylonian army returned, set siege to Jerusalem. And after a couple of years, the city fell. This time, no quarter was given. In 586, the last thing that Zedekiah saw before they blinded him and took him to Babylon was the execution of his sons. 
The temple, all the great houses in Jerusalem were demolished. The walls of the city were destroyed. And again, all but the poorest people of the land were taken into exile. Jeremiah was one of those carted off at this point. Jeremiah, I think, should come with a spiritual health warning. Among all the prophets, he is easily the most miserable. And no wonder, really, because he spent the best part of 40 years warning people that this was exactly what was going to happen if they didn't get their act together and start to to get their relationship with God right. His book contains real flashes of hope, and we'll look at one of those flashes of hope tonight. But for the most part, it is all doom and gloom. It is early misery literature. In Jeremiah 11, written perhaps eight years before the end came, he gives his verdict on how it all went wrong. The problem was a complete breakdown in communication between God and his people. And I asked if Joshua could read that passage from the English Standard Version because the same word is used again and again and again in the original. And the English Standard Version draws out just how many references there are to hearing or listening about what God says or God listening to his people. In verse 2, God tells Jeremiah to listen to the words of this covenant. Hear the words of this covenant, he says, and speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This covenant might be the book of Deuteronomy that was probably found in the temple a few years after Jeremiah was first called to be a prophet. It might be a reference back to the covenant that God made with his people, uh, with Moses, after he brought them out of Egypt. But God tells Jeremiah to hear the words of the covenant for himself, and then to let everybody else know that anyone who doesn't hear the words of the covenant as he did would be under a curse. The end of the book of Deuteronomy makes that pretty clear, actually. God says to Jeremiah, you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, cursed be the man who doesn't hear the words of this covenant that I commanded your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, listen to my voice, do all that I command you, so you shall be my people and I will be your God. Right from the word go, when the Lord brought the people out of the land of Egypt, he said, you've got to listen to what I've got to say and make it active listening. Listen so that you can put it into practice. That's what I expect of you if you are to be my people and I am to be your God. So in verse 6, Jeremiah was told to go into the streets of Jerusalem and the cities of Judah and call people to hear the words of the covenant and to do them. The Lord said to me, proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Hear the words of this covenant and do them. Just as the Lord had warned them from the day one when he brought their fathers up out of the land of Egypt, you need to listen. From that day to this, he had never stopped telling them they needed to pay attention to heed and obey his voice. I solemnly warned your fathers when I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, warning them persistently, even to this day, saying, Obey my voice. Yet despite the repeated warnings, they did not obey, they did not incline their ear to listen, they didn't tune in to what God had to say. They did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart, God says. Therefore I brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. The breakdown in communication wasn't at God's end. 
He was expressing himself clearly and loudly and repeatedly enough for them to get and understand the message if they had paid attention. But the problem was they didn't want to hear what he had to say. The problem wasn't so much with hearing as with the heart because they hardened their stubborn hearts against his message. So instead of responding to God's message to them, they turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who themselves had refused to hear God's words. They broke the covenant. They've turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, God says, who refused to hear my words. They've gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant that I made with their fathers. Notice how the judgment of God works. They've gone after other gods. They've called to other gods. Therefore, because they've been on that frequency, I'm not going to listen when they turn around and call to me. That's God's judgment upon them. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm bringing disaster upon them that they cannot escape. Though they cry to me, I will not listen to them. He even tells Jeremiah, there's no point in praying for them anymore. Don't lift up a cry or a prayer on their behalf. I will not listen when they call to me in time of trouble. Don't pray for this people. Don't lift up a cry. Don't pray on their behalf, for I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their trouble. God says, in effect, you haven't listened to me all these years? I'm not going to listen to you. That's the nature of the breakdown in communication. The relationship is over, effectively at an end. It's sobering, and it's tragic, and it's not a particularly happy passage to look at. But it reminds us that there is more to prayer than presenting our requests to God. We pray in the hope that God will listen to us. God says, actually, prayer is about listening to me as well. You expect me to be on board when you pray to me. You need to be in tune with what I have to say to you as well. Many of us, I was brought up this way, conceiving of prayer as simply saying, God bless mummy, daddy, brother, sister, the dog, and everything else. And you just just kind of say your stuff at the end of the day, and that's it, it's done. But when it comes to prayer, we think, are my messages getting through to God? Is God listening or not? Has he heard? Will he answer? Is he going to deliver what I asked for? But actually God is saying, are you listening? Can you hear? Is my word getting through to you? Are you paying attention to what I have to say to you? Are you you tuning in? Are you going to do what I tell you to do in practice? Prayer as much involves listening to what God has to say as it has to do with us presenting our request to God. Communication is two-way. It's not a monologue on our part and God is silent. God has stuff to say back again. And part of prayer is actually being willing to listen to what God says. So we do the courtesy of listening to him as we expect him to do the courtesy of listening to our prayers. And if you're not sure about how to listen to what God has to say, then reading the Bible is an excellent place to start. Over the years, I've always found reading Scripture to be an excellent way of starting a mental conversation with God. What do I pray? Well, if I read a bit of Scripture, actually that will throw up things about what God is like or about what he expects of me or what I haven't done or this situation in the world. To sit down and actually allow the time to reflect and think and hear what God is saying through the words of Scripture and then to respond in prayer. It takes time. 
It takes effort. But it's an investment in a relationship in terms of opening up communication. Find the space to read and think and reflect on what you read and pray about it. Take the time to listen to God as well as to speak with him. Then prayer has the chance to become more of a genuine conversation and less of a monologue. And as Jeremiah 11 makes clear, if we want God to listen to us, we should certainly make the time to pay attention and listen to him. And if we're too busy, or if there are too many other distractions or demands on our time, too many other voices ringing in our minds, that will have an adverse effect on our relationship with him. And after all, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is what being a Christian is really all about, isn't it? And God longs for an active listening on our part. Actually, you know, I'm I'm hearing what you have to say. I'm going to look at what I need to do about that in terms of how I pray in response to what your word says to me, how I'm going to live in response to what your word says to me. We all know the parable Jesus told of the wise man and the foolish man. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The difference between the two is they both heard what Jesus had to say. The wise man hears and puts it into practice. The foolish man hears and doesn't bother to put it into practice. Hearing, understanding, living it out makes a firm foundation for our lives. In leading this service, Raja sounded a clear note of grace, and I'm glad he made the point very clearly that although we make mistakes, forgiveness is available to us through Jesus our Redeemer. God's grace is amazing. He does give us a second chance. And you see that very clearly at the end of the book of Chronicles, with Jerusalem in ruins, the temple destroyed, God's people carted off into exile, and you may well think it's all over. But it isn't. Jeremiah was a prophet of doom and gloom, but God's word always comes with grace as well. Even as he spent decades predicting the destruction of Jerusalem, even as he saw it going on around him, he received promises about God's forgiveness. The promise that God would renew his people, that he'd bring them back from the brink of disaster, that this would not be the end, that they would rise again from the ashes of destruction. And so it was that decades after they'd been taken into exile, the Babylonian Empire collapsed and the new world ruler Cyrus comes to power and tells, you, tells the people, you can go home. Go back. Rebuild God's house in Jerusalem. Whoever is from the land of Judah, go up, make the journey, and may the Lord your God be with you. That's grace. That's grace. However far we slip, God never lets us slip beyond the point of no return. However far you've fallen, however long it's been since you listened to God, since you tuned into his frequency, since you took the time to hear what he had to say to you, be assured of this, God wants you back. Maybe for whatever reason there has been a complete breakdown of communication between the two of you that goes back many, many years. You haven't been praying to him. You haven't heard what he has to say to you. But if you're listening to this sermon, accept it as a word from the Lord to you. He wants to start again. Hear what he has to say to you. Words of grace. 
Words of forgiveness. Words of hope. Words of renewal. Inviting you to listen to him. Inviting you to trust him. Inviting you to put your life and the mess it's in back in his hands. To hear what he has to say actively. And to put it into practice. God is speaking. Are you listening? Do you hear what he has to say? How are you going to respond? You may feel as if there is no future. God sees that there is a future. If you want to know what that is, tune in. Start praying again. Read the Bible a bit. Pray a bit. Listen. And invite him to be involved in your life and lead you out of where you are back into his paths for your life again. Because that's his desire. That's his will. He doesn't want the communication breakdown to be permanent. He wants to open the channels of communication again. He's got stuff to say. And maybe this morning, he started to speak to you again. From this point, things can be rebuilt.